Glory be to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Happy Whit Sunday, or Pentecost if your name isn't Whitney. That Acts reading was absolutely amazing, and thank you to all of you who participated. I'll confess that I ardently prayed this week to be given a gift of the Spirit, to be given the gift of tongues, and I also ardently prayed that Myra would be given the gift of interpretation, and that the sermon would just write itself. But I realized my mistake. I should have prayed in humility to not be slain in the Spirit as I try to do this service in these heels. Thank you. (laughs) On May 24th, some time ago, a young man was serving as a fellow at Lincoln College at Oxford University, and he woke up disturbed. The whole day, something was eating at him, ever since he picked up the Bible that morning. He'd woken up at five, opened the good book, and read this. There are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, even that you should be partakers of the divine nature. He closed the scripture and went about his business. Before he left his house, he opened the Bible again and read, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And at evensong that day, the words from the anthem struck him. Out of the deep I have called unto you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Something was brewing. And it's no surprise that when he went that evening to a reading of Martin Luther's interpretation of the epistle to the Romans, he remembered that he went very unwillingly. But while he was there, when the words of Luther begin to describe the change with which God works in the heart through faith, the young man writes, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt that I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. This man of the strangely warmed heart is named John Wesley, an Anglican priest whose leadership of a very methodical lifestyle of his holy club at Oxford led to the nickname of the Methodists, and he and his brother Charles are the founders of that denomination. Today we mark another great day in the life of the church, the day of Pentecost, when Christ promised that he would not leave his disciples alone, even though he would no longer be with them, is fulfilled. Today we remember and celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit, the advocate of God, come to us, the people of God. The Feast of Pentecost is also known as the Feast of Weeks. And it's a harvest festival celebrated seven weeks or 50 days after Passover. It was a pilgrimage feast, and so the pious would travel again from their homes across Israel to the temple in Jerusalem. Today, in our reading from Acts, it's the first time since Jesus' death and resurrection that the disciples are in Jerusalem. Since the resurrection, Jesus has ascended into heaven And the disciples have added the faithful follower Matthias to their ranks to take the place of Judas. It's essential that the disciples did this, 
It's essential that the disciples are 12 so that they represent the 12 tribes of Israel, the whole nation and people of God that Jesus came to redeem. With 12, the disciples are prepared for the arrival of the promised spirit. I should say that the disciples are loosely prepared. They have all their ducks in a row. But at this point, as people of faith in God, you and I know that being prepared for God to show up doesn't mean that we're really prepared at all for what God will do with us. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ reveal to us that God is making a new covenant with God's people. And a covenant is more than a promise. A covenant is an agreement that both parties will live into a particular relationship with one another. Now, Pentecost was an agricultural feast of thanksgiving. People gathered to give to God of their own bounty, recognizing God as the ultimate and primary giver. And this circuit of connection between what God gives us and what we give to God is the nature of a harvest festival, but it's also the nature of a covenant of our relationship with God. The Feast of Weeks celebrates a specific part of Jewish salvation history. People gather in Jerusalem at Passover to remember that God delivered them from Egypt. But people gather at Pentecost seven weeks later to remember what happened about a month and a half after leaving Egypt, the Israelites' arrival at Mount Sinai. The book of Exodus tells us that God comes to meet his people at Mount Sinai, and tells them that if they keep covenant with God, if they enter into relationship with him, they will be his people. So the Israelites gather at Sinai, and God descends from the mountain in a great cloud with thunder and lightning and loud blasts of trumpets. The people are shaking with fear as God delivers them to the law, the parameters of the covenant, beginning with the Ten Commandments. And as the people are scared out of their minds, they send Moses further up the mountain to talk to God. And according to tradition, while Moses himself was up there, angels carried the words of God back to the people with tongues of fire on their heads. So today we remember the second Pentecost, the second time in salvation history where God makes good on his covenant with people. The disciples are in a locked room when a wind whips through the door and tongues of flame appear on their heads. They are literally ecstatic and begin sharing with the thousands of faithful people gathered in Jerusalem the good news of the abundant kingdom of God. They can't restrain themselves from saying the good news of the covenant in Christ. I have to stop for a moment to share that a few weeks ago at the Grand Canyon, I overheard a man who was filming the vista on his cell phone. And as he was holding up his cell phone towards the canyon, he couldn't help but say, Oh God, oh Lord, what marvelous things you have done. How great are the works of your hands. Jesus, thank you. One woman replied, Hey, that's awesome, and gave him a thumbs up. But another person, much more quietly, said, It's a little early to hit the sauce, man. And so the response of the faithful Jewish gathered in Jerusalem to these disciples preaching the good news of God and Christ and his works of wonder in the world is the same. The people gathered there come from the corners of the empire, 
from the Gentile-dominated East to Mother Rome herself. Such is the reach of God on this day, and such is the reach of evangelism that will be documented in the book of Acts. But first, the message to be delivered. Peter steps up to the plate. He begins with a passage from the not-well-known prophet Joel. Joel is speaking as a prophet in the midst of a great plague of locusts, animals that have destroyed both the recently gathered harvest and decimated the new shoots and the seeds of the next plantings. Joel sees this catastrophe as a sign of God's imminent arrival, an arrival that the people should rightly fear because it brings with it the day of judgment. The only basis for hope is not in what the people can do to earn God's forgiveness. Hope for these people relies completely in God's mercy and grace. Those on whom God's spirit will be poured will be able to respond to God, and God will recognize them. God will acknowledge their relationship with him and be saved. This is where our lectionary reading ends for today which decimates the whole point of Peter's sermon, because in one of the deepest ironies in our lectionary, no mention of Jesus is made. But fear not, I'll let you in on the rest. Today on Pentecost, what Peter and the other disciples go on to proclaim as gospel is not that God's spirit will only be on a chosen few, or that God's judgment has yet to be declared. What Peter proclaims in the ensuing voices What the disciples join in in proclaiming in glorious cacophony is the new covenant that was made in Jesus Christ. The new covenant assures our hope in God's grace and mercy because Christ has taken upon himself all judgment. God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, Peter says, and from God the Holy Spirit pours forth on everybody who is a witness. The Holy Spirit descends as wind and flame to sanctify, to mark as sacred and holy and precious each child of God. Our new covenant with God made through Christ is sealed by the Holy Spirit. On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit ensures that the whole of creation is able to, because of Christ, the whole of creation is able to be in relationship with God as it was intended back in the garden, a relationship without reservation, bathed in grace, abundantly loved, and unabashedly loving in return. The Holy Spirit ensures, the Holy Spirit blesses, that our covenant relationship with God Almighty is all about this garden relationship, because it's in that spiritual kingdom that we seek God and God seeks us. The mystery of the Holy Spirit is all too often maligned rather than embraced, and we are quick to put its light under a bushel basket than let it shine. But there is something magnificent to the fact that the Holy Spirit is most often described in terms of light and wind, phenomena that we cannot experience on their own but we see and understand them only in their relationship to something else, primarily ourselves, and then the people and creation around us. We can only process light by absorbing it. 
And we can only process wind by understanding its push and pull first and foremost as it has pushed and pulled on us. The theologian Basil of Caesarea describes the Holy Spirit this way. Simple in essence. Varied in his miracles, he is wholly present to everyone and wholly everywhere at the same time. He is shared without being affected. He remains whole and yet gives himself in the sharing, like a sunbeam whose warming light shines on the one who enjoys it as though it shines for him alone. Yet it also lights the land and the sea and mingles with the air. Similarly, the Holy Spirit is present to all those capable of receiving him as if given to them alone. And yet he sends forth full and sufficient grace for all humanity and is enjoyed by all who share in him. Souls in which the Spirit dwells, illuminated by the Spirit, themselves become spiritual and send forth their grace and light to others. Such is the divine mystery of the Holy Spirit, the ability to personally and universally seal and uphold this circuit, this covenant between us and God. It descends on us so that we can absorb God and be absorbed by God in relationship. The Holy Spirit allows our hearts to be strangely warm, kindling the light of the world within us so that we might shine forth that same light into the world. We confess in the creed that the Holy Spirit is the Lord and the giver of life, and it's a fitting title. When Jesus promises the disciples the Spirit, he tells them that he will be sending them an advocate. And this advocate will be a spirit of truth and will allow for God to dwell in them and likewise for them to dwell in God to the same effect of how they abide with Christ and he abides with them. The spirit assures that the circle will be unbroken. The love of God will continue to be made known and to be made tangible through the Holy Spirit, the advocate working on our behalf. Now, an advocate is a person through whom the power and authority of a relationship are conveyed, which could be both intimidating and intoxicating, that we've been given the power and authority of Jesus in this world. But the interesting thing is that in Greek, the word for power and authority is also the same word for ability. And this is where our part of the covenant relationship comes into fruition— Jesus promises that when he is no longer in the world, the Holy Spirit will give the disciples the ability to bear the likeness of Christ in the world. Our side of the covenant is to embrace that we are the children of God and live into being the children of God. We are children, just as Jesus is the child of God. Followers of Christ through the Spirit will be able to be his body in the world, to act as he would act, to speak as he would speak, to love as he would love, and as God loves. When we cultivate this love of God, the Spirit gives us the ability to bear witness, to be an image of Christ in the world. And the Advocate gives us the ability to bear fruits of the Spirit, gifts of relationship that mirror Christ into the world.
When the Holy Spirit descends on the disciples at Pentecost, when they proclaim the new covenant that God has created in Jesus Christ, they were given the ability to share and show this love of God, which united person to person across every language and people and nation without any boundary. Acts tells us that over 3,000 people were baptized by the Spirit that day. And this uniting of many children into one entity was the beginning of Christ's body in the world. It was the beginning of the church. Over 275 years ago, John Wesley opened his Bible to read this about the Holy Spirit. There have been given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, even that you should be partakers of the divine nature. You and I are heirs of this most great and precious promise, that in covenant we partake of the love of God and share it in the world. On this day of Pentecost, may our hearts also be strangely warmed. Amen.